there's a lot of venture money pouring into artificial intelligence in healthcare. From pharma to hospitals and beyond, the potential applications in healthcare are also promising. I think everybody's allured by the idea of saving lives, and I think some of these industries are also trillion dollar industries, and so business folks are pretty excited as well. But there are a lot of unique challenges. In late last year, we did a bunch of speaking for the World Bank on some of our own kind of proprietary AI and healthcare research. And speaking with governments, it's pretty clear that sort of the, the bridges we have to cross to access the data to actually train AI systems, whether we're talking in Europe or Asia, we were speaking with ministers of health and IT in these various countries. It's clear that there's big hurdles to overcome there. But that's not just the case in the government space. That's also the case in the private sector. Uh, we look at the healthcare system in America. I think broadly, most of the folks that we speak with who are innovating in AI and healthcare are overtly frustrated with how hard it is to streamline, to systematize, to harmonize the data, to make use of it, to diagnose diseases, to inform treatment plans, to help doctors. It's a hard business. Uh, but why is that? Well, that's a question that we asked our guest this week. Our guest is uh, Zigang Chen, who got his PhD at the University of Michigan in computer science and went on to uh, a variety of roles in Silicon Valley, starting off at Yahoo, and then moved back to China and worked with two of the towering internet giants there, first Alibaba and then Tencent. His most recent role was director of the healthcare big data lab at Tencent, the sort of Google equivalent over in China. And Zigang speaks with us this week about what particular hurdles healthcare has to overcome in order to access its data. He talks about some of the speaking different language when it comes to subject matter experts and when it comes to data scientists. He talks about some of the regulatory issues, and he also speaks to how those issues might be overcome, how the healthcare world might sort of level itself up in terms of how people are educated, in terms of how data is streamlined, in terms of the understandings of AI, even non-technical kind of conceptual understandings that sort of folks in the healthcare space need to come to if we really want to see a flourishing innovation at the intersection of AI and healthcare. And at the end of this episode, Zigang tunes us in a little bit to the AI ecosystem in China. He's someone that's seen both. He was in Silicon Valley. Now he's over back in China working for, again, big towering internet giants over there. Um, and he talks about what the differences are of these AI ecosystems. If you want to understand what makes the competitive landscape of Chinese AI companies a potentially even more dire and fierce place than in Silicon Valley, then listen to the end of this interview because uh, Zigang goes into some pretty interesting insights as to why it's different, why competition takes on a different meaning in China. And I think for a lot of our listeners, mostly hearing entrepreneurs in Europe and the U.S. on this podcast, uh, those insights should be useful. So without further ado, you're listening to Zigang Chen with me, Dan Fagella, here on the AI and Industry Podcast. Let's dive right in. So Zigang, where I thought we'd begin here is in the domain of bringing AI to life in healthcare. We've spoken with a lot of companies in the United States about this topic. There's a lot of the big players like IBM that are trying really hard to make this work. You've been with the biggest, most exciting kind of AI players uh, on the other side of the world. I mean, Alibaba, Tencent, these are gargantuan firms working on big data and healthcare. When you look from your vantage point, what barriers have to be overcome to make AI something that can really come to life in healthcare? What do those look like from kind of the Asian perspective? 
you know, I'm happy to do the interview with you. You know, this very question has been one of the focus of my thoughts in the last two years. I've been thinking over why mobile health or even even the AI in health is not really taking off in the last few years. Like mobile health has been a hype for a number of years, both in the States and also in China. Uh, there are a lot of capital going to that sector. And AI in almost everything, you know, there is a big hype, you know, didn't meet a lot of people's expectation. I think there is a gap. There's a big gap between what the technology and the technology companies can offer, what the industry need or what the real world problems need. Take healthcare as example. AI has, you know, offered a lot of wild expectations, but what happened was when people try to apply the models, you know, apply the AI system in real world, it didn't work out quite well. That's one. Mm. And the second is, you know, usually when we as people working in technology's domain talk to, you know, the, the folks in, in, the, in the healthcare industry, we find there's a mismatch. You know, we thought that we are trying to solve their problem, but they said, no, no, no. You know, this is not, you know, the problem we want to solve. You know, we have these other problems. There is a mismatch in terms of priorities, okay? Yeah. And the second is, there's a mismatch in terms of what we can do and what they expect us to do. So in that case, we're solving the wrong problem. We are not meeting their expectations. So what happens in this process is that people are like, okay, yeah, okay, AI is good, but we are not quite there yet, okay? So, so you see, the, the hype is actually cooling down very, very quickly. And the second yeah. reason is about digitalization and the healthcare industry. You know, it has been there for a few thousand years. You know, people has been having, you know, people get, getting sick for a long time. Yeah, right. yeah. It's not, it's not a new thing. Yep. So if you look at that industry, the data is not quite there yet. You know, the digitalization is not ready yet. So for AI, for, you know, big data to really take off, that foundation has to be somewhat ready, right? In the big data domain, we often say, you know, 80% of your, your time or resource spent on data, and then 20% of time is actually on the models, on the algorithms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so without the foundation of data and the digitalization, it's hard or it's almost impossible to, to get really good models out of it and really to apply the realize the, uh, the business value. So that's the third point, which is, Without digitalization, without this whole process being online and being digitalized, how are you going to realize or how are you going to bring the value of yeah. your AI back to the business, you know, to that industry? This is a big challenge. So I, I actually, I want to go into each one of these individuals again, because I think they're all actually pretty well transferable to any industry. I mean, you, br you brought up three big things that I'm looking at. One of them was a mismatch of priorities. Technology folks that understand it might not really grasp the truest problems that the people in the industry grasp. There's also an expectation of what the people in the industry have, of what the technology can do, and that's also not accurate. We have kind of a flubby understandings on both sides. And then we also have the fact that we just don't have the digitization of the sector to give us enough data in good enough formats to be able to train and use algorithms. And this is a problem. I mean, what, those three things, I mean, man, we could talk about finance, we could talk about manufacturing, we could talk about anything. Obviously, healthcare has some very unique challenges and some very, very scary data problems. I think part of the issue seems to be 
you know, again, we can address these one by one. When we talk about the fact that there's misunderstandings in terms of expectations on both sides, the tech people don't quite understand the problem. The people that are in the industry don't quite understand what AI can do. What do we do to solve that? I mean, the way I think about it, like, okay, well, they need to talk more. We need more conferences. We need some hospitals to have data folks work with them and educate them. We need more data science people to really be embedded in healthcare and understand it. And then we need this kind of slow grind of osmosis to kind of get on the same page in in a lot of people's brains until we have a lot more things clicking and a lot more shared ideas and expectations. What else can be done to solve that wrong expectation problem on both sides? I think it's the real driving force would be the pressure from market competition. The reason I'm saying that is because if you look at any industry, particularly in the, in the healthcare industry, there are still niche markets where companies are making a lot of money. They can make easy money, like, you know, the medical equipment and stuff. But if you look at insurance, right, you at the provider side, the insurance, the payer side, and also, you know, the pharmaceutical industry, these sectors, they're already having a lot of competition from peers in the market. So if you're in that market, if you want to stay competitive, then you really have to open up your mind and open up your organization for this digitalization transformation and also for embracing the new technologies. I personally have seen this trend in the industry in the last one to two years. You know, I think a year ago, trying to reach out to an insurance company and they said, no, 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 we are not ready yet. You know, we're happy to work with you guys, but we, we can give you guys our data. So the target stopped there. And then this year in 2018, they have to reach out to us and yeah. they say, okay, we we can bring out data to you guys. We can, you know, work together on, on this model and I we, we really want to do this. So the driving force for them was that, you know, their leaders was having a lot of pressure from the market and they want to try to explore new forces for their growth. I think really the, the driving force is less from the, uh, okay, let's try to learn new things. Let's try to do, those are not strong enough. The stronger you know, I think that the real driving force is the competition to stay alive in, in the market. Yep, survival. So, well, yes. the, and, and we're seeing a lot of this as well. I think when we, you know, we're, we don't sell the technology, but we do, we do sell market research to bigger companies. And I think that when you know as, you know, a very large American bank that the two banks that are bigger than you in the whole country are, you know, working on conversational interfaces, then you might be more interested in really understanding what's going on there and being prepared to hire people and being prepared to throw yourself into it. And, and it sounds like in the insurance space, the healthcare space, again, when those pressures start coming and other people maybe start realizing some gains, that that survive and thrive is much more important than let's try something new. And that completely makes sense. Here's a problem that addresses the other side of the coin. So we've got the communication mismatch that is kind of being overcome by this need to survive. But even even the need to survive can't make the whole industry digital. You know, the cool thing about a sector like e-commerce is that hypothetically, a huge percentage of everything that you do from start to finish in terms of making money is digitally trackable. And and even if you're not an analytics expert, you know, you can hypothetically get access to, you know, your transaction data and your customer data and their click stuff and their behavior on page and their response to your emails. All that stuff is happening digitally and it could be tracked. And so it's a whole ecosystem where that world, everybody else's e-commerce company and yours is all 
flooded with digital data. And so the vendor companies that work in that space get to train some really cool algorithms and get to tinker with the data and mess with the data. And it's, it's kind of there for them. In healthcare, even if you really want to bring AI to life, your efforts to improve your digitization by itself might not even be enough. Right? Like you, you still might need the whole rest of the industry to level up its data game, to level up its digitization, to really make AI kind of work. And it, it feels like that's almost a different problem. It seems like it's competition, so you don't want to share. But then again, you can't do AI unless there's some common flow, common format, common harmonization around data. How are they going to deal with that tension? They don't want to share anything, but they need this world to be a digital world in healthcare. How do you solve that? You know, I think that's a very good question. Uh, I think the mindset has to be changed in order to stay competitive, in order to really embrace new technologies and uh, in the whole flow of the data. You have to be open-minded. I, I think that mindset has to change. The other thing is that uh, for the healthcare industry, get your uh, process online. You know, everything needs to be digitalized. And uh, when, when the process is digitalized and you have new data, you have a lot more data coming in and then you can try to optimize it and try to dig out new value out of your data. You're going to gain more on your business side than, you know, worrying about what you're going to lose in this process. I think one of the problems is, you know, one difference between e-commerce and uh, healthcare is that in e-commerce, there's not such a high kind of professional threshold as in the healthcare. Like in healthcare, it's about, yeah, you know, human right. lives, you know. So we do have a lot of respect for the life science. You know, it has its own rules and, you know, laws and the scientific stuff. There is a big hurdle to overcome for the technology people to work together with the uh, the life science people, you know, because they, they actually they speak different language. They, they look at the same problem from different angles. And yeah. then almost they, they are looking at different problems. And that's so, why, yeah. like you said, there's such big a communication issue. Do you think that having events that have both parties there is going to help? Do you think a lot of pilot programs of trying to bring AI into healthcare is going to help? Do you think hospitals... Well, they probably can't afford to hire data science people, but maybe they wish they could, or maybe students who are training in data science to go spend time in hospital. Like, how do you get them to speak the same language? I mean, the vendors could keep going into the companies and then speak a different language, but how do you make them both meld a little bit? Yeah, I, I think there are short-term solutions and there are also long-term approaches. Okay. So the short-term solution is really to have events and then both in the technology side and the healthcare side, on both sides, there are always people who are more ready to reach out to the other side. So these people can function as the bridge to get people together and also get ideas crossed to each other. I have talked to probably over 200 doctors in, in China to understand where they're from, you know, how they approach problems, and you know, what their interests are. And also I talk to, you know, government officials, I talk to the supply chain companies and all that. So I guess I'm one of the technology people who actually understand the healthcare industry a little bit better. So in my experience, I could actually communicate with the healthcare folks in a problem context. Yeah. So, so we need more people like you who cross over a lot. And maybe we also need a lot of healthcare people that cross over into data a lot. And do we just need more of that to happen? Like over yeah. time in project contexts? 
Yes, and yeah. I actually have seen people who from the healthcare side who are very open-minded. They are very, very top-notch doctors. They are very smart people, and they know what we're trying to get across to them very easily. And you know, we can actually forge a very good cooperation kind of effort. I think that's kind of the uh, relationship and also the collaboration kind of spirit that we we wanna uh, establish in, in this domain. So I think China and the, and the States and probably, you know, in, in other countries, there are already a lot of these events going on. Also, I think there is not a shortage of such events. I think it's just that, you know, the industry or the media or the Internet is flooded with, you know, all kinds of information. Some are good. Some are actually yeah. not so true so that people got confused, like what AI can do? What is it just a false promise? It just takes time for people kind of to seep and absorb this evolution or uh, this trend that is happening. So I, I think in the short term, I think it's really uh, the pressure from the market that is driving both sides to move forward hand in hand. I think that's already happening. I think that's probably a, a good thing to do. And also, I think, you know, having some sort of a funding of small projects to drive like startups to work in these crossover problems, I think that's good too. Yeah, midterm and long term, I think it's really about education. The data science has to be a foundation sort of mandate cost for both life science and, uh, and also the technology people, they have to spend more time in the foundation class like biology, you know, bioscience and, you know, stuff like that. I think that would actually be the mid and long term solution so that people can understand what, you know, each other is talking about, where they are from and how the technology can marry with the traditional the science to have a better world and better society. When you say it needs to start with education, do you really mean that in terms of like the college kind of level or do you mean education within companies like the full ecosystem of how data science is being trained in general it needs to be more in context do you see this as a university thing do you see this as beyond that i think both but i think the primary force should be on the university side because once you're in the industry often you don't have much time resource to investing in such things unless there is something that's driving you but that's yep. also going to take some time. Yeah. So, okay. so I think okay. it's really the uh, university, the you know, the graduate school that should invest more in this future midterm, long-term solutions. Yep. And I, I think they're going to learn lessons from you know how industry makes it work too. I think my guess is that once there are some really big wins in a given sector, once everybody understands that a couple companies who are applying AI well in a few applications, that that's really what's making them pull away from the herd. I think then you're going to have a lot of much heavier efforts and investments even than you're seeing today. I think it's picking up, you know, it's chugging along, but I think I think there's more to be done. My last question, just because you've seen both, is to get your perspective on, on the AI ecosystem in China. You spent 15 years in the United States. You got a PhD from a very reputable school here. You worked for you know, some of the bigger, most exciting firms in, in the Bay Area. And then you kind of did the same thing in, in China. So just if we talk about a strengths perspective, when it comes to what makes China good at innovating and applying AI, what is it? What are those factors that are playing to China's hand right now that are working for them? I'm not sure if it's the uh, strength or not, but uh, like if you look at the, the payment sector, compare United States and China, China didn't have a 
sort of uh, electronic payment system, you know, let's say five years ago. But United States has a very good payment system with credit card, with debit card, you know. I think credit card is probably the foundation for a very convenient payment system uh, in a kind of a modern world. But China didn't have it. We, you know, I, I remember when I was in China, before I went to States, you know, I have to bring cash all the time. But in the last five years, you know, that has changed a lot. I haven't used cash for a long time. And I just use mobile payment. But mobile payment didn't scale as well in China as in the in the States. So what happened is that because States already has a very good system, so for a new thing to replace the existing infrastructure, the threshold is very high. You know, you have to do a lot better to yeah. replace the existing system, right? But in China... I think that's probably the same with the healthcare infrastructure, which is the healthcare infrastructure is not as good as the United States. So for China, for the Chinese healthcare system to improve, to do better, then for them, it's probably a little bit easier to say, okay, let's embrace new technology to new things so that we can do better. We are more like the 21st century oriented solution to embrace, to work on. So I think that's probably one of the factors that the new technology could take off a little bit easier than in the developed countries. So that's one. And then the other would be the competition. I think the market competition in China is is very, very brutal, let's say. Yeah, well, talk to me about, I mean, why, you know, I've heard multiple people say something similar to what you're saying right now. And I don't think in the West, there's a lot of perspective as to what this means. What is brutal in China? I mean, business is not a lot of fun in the United States a lot of the time, you know what I mean? Um, you know, it, it's not all uh, happy fun times. But but what what is it about brutal in Chinese business that you're referring to? The competition, you have competition from, you know, whole spectrum. You know, you have competition from companies you know, from the United States, from European countries. You also have domestic competitors. But in let's say in, in, in the States, you don't look at competitors from China unless they are the big ones, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, even the, the smaller companies don't, yeah, don't cross yeah, over. Yeah, they the don't rest. get you, you know, because the threshold is actually pretty high. And even the big companies like Alibaba and Tencent, they are not competitors in the American market in a lot of sectors, right? So for that, you know, the Chinese market is a lot more crowded because you have a lot more competitors. Okay, and so you're saying that the competitors are in closer proximity. In other words, like you have the international competitors, but you also have all these local companies because there's so many people, so many companies churning out that maybe unlike in the States where there's not as many Chinese companies coming in, you feel like maybe there's more international competition coming into China in addition to the local competition. Is this what you're oh, addressing? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you. it's funny because, I mean, you guys actually, you know, in China, there, there's rules around, you know, like I, I couldn't access my Gmail for a week when I was out there. There's real ways to make competition not happen in China. But it's funny that that's maybe not enough, that it still has more international competitors than the states where we don't have a firewall. So the firewall thing is, it's inconvenient, you know, absolutely. But it doesn't really prevent you from working with international teams. You know, there are various ways to get around it. I know that, you know, for people who come and visit, it's a It's inconvenient, but yeah, I imagine if you live in it, you understand how to work with it. So I, I can yeah. I can totally understand. Yeah, okay, so, so we yeah. have this extra heated competition, and you think that maybe that's breeding the right kind of tooth and nail innovation, drive forward, all that stuff. Any other factors that China has going for it specifically that really, really make AI innovation and AI application, something that can maybe happen in a powerful way in China. Any other forces that are helping to drive that? 
Is there anything yeah. about the government involvement in some way? In other words, like I know that the government is now very much behind it. I've heard some people mention that that matters. That's actually a big thing. If the government is really behind something and they're pushing it forward and they're encouraging it, then that might actually really encourage people. And that might really get people maybe involved who wouldn't have otherwise. Do you think of that as something that matters or not really as much when it comes to encouraging innovation? I think, you know, from the regulatory side, it's probably true. You know, government is, okay, let's just, you know, try to open up the regulation a little bit and just try to make the market flow. But, you know, from my experience, I didn't get money from the government. The government is talking a lot about AI and how to use the AI to really bring the uh, economy to the next level, but it's going to take a long time. And also, the Chinese government has a lot of places to spend their money, as the uh, the media said, you know, that kind of capital in the AI area. But, yeah. but uh, again, I think the uh, healthcare is probably a little in an advantage position because, you know, China is having a aging population problem, and yep. the healthcare system is totally overwhelmed. So healthcare system has to be more efficient. So that's probably going to force the government to embrace new technology in this industry to make it more capable to meet the challenges down the road. Got it. Well, yeah, and I think a ton of countries are dealing with similar issues. But, you know, I've heard similar things from India, and we did some super in-depth research on, on the ecosystem out there on how maybe being at a disadvantage in terms of the development of healthcare might force like these bigger leaps and bounds that, that might turn into an advantage. I think time will tell, but you may very well be right there. Last last question, uh, Zigang, before we wrap up, you know, you were out in the United States for quite some time and working with smart folks at, you know, the Twitters and the Yahoos and, and, and companies that are pretty far along in terms of the, the uses of data here in the United States. When you think about the strengths of the U.S. when it comes to an AI ecosystem, again, innovating in AI and applying AI, what are some of the things that maybe the U.S. has going for it? You talked about what China has that maybe the U.S. doesn't have, but what does maybe the U.S. have that's, that you see as maybe different or unique from, from China in terms of strengths? I think the U.S. still has the best education system. You know, yeah. I benefited a lot and I'm still very grateful. You know, I love the schools and the education system there. And the second is from this education system, there come a lot of good talents get concentrated in the Bay Area. I was very fortunate to work with a lot of very smart people in, in that area. So I think education talents wise, you know, I think U.S. is still have a very strong advantage. And the other is the digitalization. I think the U.S. still ahead in digitalization. It basically happened way earlier in yeah. various industries in the States. And also, you know, I think the competition actually drives a lot of changes in the industry. Like, for example, in the healthcare industry in the States, EHRs had been around for many years, but that's not the case in many other countries in the world. So I guess the digitalization put the U.S. in a, in a more advantageous uh, position uh, in the world. Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, we have the education system, the density of talent, and then also the digitization. And so, and that, that tends to kind of build, there's a bit of a brain drain. A lot of people come to the Bay Area, you know, yourself included, right? I mean, away from your, yeah. your mother country, and even away from where you got your degree, which was, you know, I mean, University of Michigan, there's, there's certainly business in that area, but you, you went to where the action was. So that's an advantage. But in the digitization, it sounds like it's kind of a double-edged sword, because on the one hand, China's going to have to come up with some really innovative solutions to solve their data limitation and system limitation problems, and that might help them jump ahead. 
but you're also addressing the fact that having the data is still kind of an advantage too. So it sounds like it can kind of go both ways. You know, having to make a leap could give you an advantage, but also starting with more resources could be an advantage. So there's yes. sort of pros and cons, I guess, huh? Yep, that's yeah. that's the real world. I mean, that's absolutely right because that's you know, for example, you know, I know that in the states you have the hospital have the HRs, you know, all that, right? And the doctors, you know, I remember when I go to a doctor, doctor actually bring their laptop all the time. You know, they type on yeah. the laptop and they do some searches. You know, what's going on and stuff. In China, we don't have that, right? Yeah. <laughs> you go to your doctor, <laughs> the doctors, you know, some doctors they have a computer along. Many other times, the doctor just they, they just you know get the information out of their own brains. It depends on the leaders, you know. And you know if if you can leverage the foundation of your existing infrastructure and try to embrace the uh, new technology in smart ways, then yes, then that's your advantage. But if you sit on your existing infrastructure and think that okay, you know we still can manage with the existing solution. And we kind of, you know, delay the adoption of new technology. Then it's probably not your disadvantage. Yeah. Well, so it's how do you play the cards you're dealt? And everybody's going to cross their fingers that their country can do as well with the hand that they have as they can. And clearly, as you've addressed it, having been in both worlds, there are kind of both pros and cons. So we'll see how it shakes out, Zigang. But I'm glad you were able to kind of paint the picture of both those worlds that you've been in. I know where we are on time, and we went into to kind of overtime for that one. But I think it was damn well worth it. So that's that's all that we have. But Zigang, thank you again so much for being able to share your insights on AI and industry. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Dan. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like finance and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.